thank you for joining us for this episode of So You're an Aspiring Ally, a project of the Delaware Alliance Against Sexual Violence. So You're an Aspiring Ally is a podcast where we talk about sexual violence and its impacts from all angles. April is Sexual Assault Awareness Month. So this April, we are launching this podcast where we choose one aspect of sexual violence and speak to experts in the field about it. We recognize the topic of sexual violence can be very triggering. Please listen with care, and if you need support, you can call the National Sexual Assault Hotline at 1-800-656-4673, and they will direct you to resources near you. Today, our podcast guest is Heather. Heather is an LCSW, and she's here to share her story with us. Welcome, Heather. Thanks so much for chatting with me today. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. Oh, of course. We're so happy to have you. Thanks so much for joining us. So you're here to share your story with us today. Are you comfortable telling me a little bit about your experience? I am. I am. I guess uh, my experience with uh, sexual violence started when I was a child. Um, age four, my parents divorced. My mom was a single mom, me and my sister. And uh, after dad left, we, we kind of relied on our family, my mom's family, a lot. Um, so my first experience with sexual violence was at age four. Uh, my grandfather. Um, it continued till around age 12 when he passed away. During that period, I did report it um, to my family. My mom, um, you know, he was confronted. He was, uh, he did lie about it um, and said, no, it didn't happen. Da, 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 da. Um, I believe I was around like four or five around then. And then, and like I said, it continued uh, through around age 12. Um, Age 12 was a pretty big deal. Um, he passed away is what happened. Um, and right around that time um, when he passed away, yeah, um, things changed for me. Um, sometimes it's only in hindsight that I can, I can see that, that change changed. Um, when he passed away, um, I'd always been a pretty quiet kid before then, not too much trouble, just kind of went along with the program, a little smart mouthy feisty but when he 12 after he passed away um i started to have behavioral problems um getting in trouble in the school started to happen um giving mom a hard time giving family members a hard time um so it just really 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 it devastated me when he passed away for for a lot of reasons i think yeah i can imagine so anyway, he passed away, started getting in trouble, things of that nature, um, running away in my adolescent years, um, you know, having conversations with my mom again about, you know, this happened, um, not being kind of, my grandmother didn't believe it. So um, anyway, the school got involved. Behavior problems, you're cutting the school, you're not going to school. I was at risk, you know, teen school gets involved, I'm running away, so I get, you know, get some help, I get a runaway, we get in trouble, so they take you, get you evaluated, different things like that, and that was the first time that um, I'd probably, I'd gotten help for, for that, um, and it was with a therapist, I had a therapist uh, then, um, they got me a therapist, everything's fine, but then I'm also dealing with my sexuality, um, and I am, I am a member of the LGBT community, um, but when this was, when I disclosed to this ther the therapist um, that, you know, I was a lesbian, I like women, 
I have a girlfriend, you did this, 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 that, and the third. Um, it was not well received. She says, you can't be gay. This is, you're not gay. It's not okay to be gay. It's not, you know. Um, well, at that point, this, this 12, 14, 16 year old Heather was like, oh no, I'm done with you. I'm done with therapy. I don't need anything. What are these systems about? Forget it. So, um, yeah, that's kind of, kind of, and I was pretty, pretty cut off, uh, from therapy until, um, I was at work. I, I'd started a different job when I was in my mid twenties and it was a male dominated, uh, profession I was in. Um, anyway, so I got sexually harassed. Um, and these things started, like these feelings started showing up, like that just triggers. Well, I, now that I know they're triggers now, but in my 20s, I didn't know they were triggers showing up. So the EAP referred me um, to get help. And I was having some problems in my uh, interpersonal relationships, trust issues, forget it. I wouldn't let anybody hug me. Like it was a, it was a lot. So um, yeah, uh, in my mid 20s is when I went and I was uh, still resistant to therapy. Forget it. Like, what are these people really going to do? Bet, 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 bet. Um, how am I really, how are they really going to help me? How, you know, this isn't something we talk about. You know, I was brought up, you don't talk about things like this. You know, we kind of, it's come a long way since then. Um, but yeah, so then I did receive, start to receive some openness to treatment in my mid-20s. So you say that you picked back up therapy in your mid-20s and that they're was still a lot of stigma attached. It sounds like stigma is something that really impacted a lot of your journey. Can you share a little bit more about that? It did. And I think it really, really started back with my first experience reaching out for help. Um, even all the way back to my mom, you know, it's different time, different generation. You don't talk about things like that, um, things like that. And then and then in my adolescence, you know, the therapist thing, that was just a complete shutdown. I was like, what? You know, um, and then the school, you know, I mean, they, they helped me. The school did get involved and I'm, I'm grateful for that looking back. But when I was going through it, the school just saw me as a problem child and labeled me as a troublemaker. And I never got in trouble with the law or things like that. It never got to that. I just had a heck of a mouth on me. And if I didn't, I wasn't going to school. I didn't want to go and things like that. I was a mess. But underneath all that, now I understand that like, the behaviors were just because of all the trauma, right? Um, so there was stigma with that. Um, and then anytime we tell a story about, especially, you know, women and, and, and sexual violence, there's still this collective stigma out there. I hear it just in casual conversation. Why didn't you get away? Or why didn't you do this? So blaming the victim, um, the survivor, whatever we would have. I don't like definitions and labels, but um, that much at all. Um, but yeah, just, just hear that in general conversations, like a microaggressions. Yes. So when you talk about stigma and, and all the different kind of stigmas there are, do you think things have changed at all? Do you think that there's been any kind of shift in society from when this had happened to you originally to what people's experience may be now? I do. I think there's more services available now more than ever, more awareness, especially with um, Me Too, that the movement, Me Too movement, and then there's another one, Stand Up, things like that. People's the voices are especially in the media, voices are being heard a little more. Um, I don't know if it's to the extent 
the prevalence out there now, I think, is more than we realize. I think it's handled a little bit differently collectively, but I still think those underlying opinions, judgments, whatever we want to label them as, are still there. There's that mindset is still can. I don't want to say control might not be the the operative word, but it still has a big factor in people going to get help because of shame base. Yeah, a lot of those internalized messages really influence us in a lot of different ways. So I imagine experiencing sexual violence and that imposed shame that society puts on us can really kind of deter people from talking about it. It can. So you had said that, you know, different things had triggered you. You had talked about your grandfather dying and that being kind of a turning point. You talked about this sexual harassment that you experienced at work. Can you talk about the word trigger and, and what a trigger is and how that experience was for you? So sure, I can, I can talk about a trigger um, just from my own internal experiences. And I think we have different types of triggers, like there's mental triggers, there's somatic triggers, there's association, like there's just a t- whole bunch of triggers. I can just speak to my, my own experience. So like, I remember everything cognitively would happen, like up here, I got it. Um, it's the body and the feeling for me is where my triggers show up. Like, and they were intense, like intense and overwhelming. And I didn't know how to make sense to them, to them. Right. Um, especially just my experience was I was a young child. So the meaning making kind of like never really happened. Um, and so I didn't understand the feelings that I was having. I didn't understand why they were so intense and like a big deal. Um, I didn't like I didn't understand I didn't understand like I can tell you about one trigger I am extremely sensitive to smell um extremely sensitive and I used to think what what it's not that serious you know why am I like my heart my heart why is my heart racing like what what this this isn't that big of a deal and this certain scent and even when I today I smell it the feelings aren't up there and I'm not like up on like hypervigilance or up up to the sky, but I'm very like, uh-huh, okay. It's kind of okay. I know where this is coming from. Um, it's okay. The positive self-talk, um, you know, it's going to be okay. This is what this is. This is what it is. And that, that really helped me emotion, emotionally, emotional growth. Like it was like a, we talk about a lot about post-traumatic growth emotional growth is what really happened for me for for the triggers that I have I mean I have other triggers that are like more like associations I know it's a trigger from um the the experiences as a child when I feel them in certain parts of my body like I know it's it's from childhood and I might today I still might not be able to um quite put my finger on the emotion and the emotion or the uh, the feeling that's being triggered in that moment, but if I reflect back on it and think about it, then I can I can place those those emotions. I hope I answered the question that that you asked. Yeah, you did. I think that makes a lot of sense. And if it's okay with you, I'd like to dial back to something that you brought up in that answer. So you talk a lot about. First of all, it's very clear that you've you've really done a lot of work. Was it your journey in therapy that helped you to come up with these coping mechanisms and these tools and how to identify your triggers and how to take care of yourself? 
It is. It is. Because I'll tell you, when I when I first went into, you know, to, to go talk to someone about this and in my 20s, I had like one tool and it was let's get in an argument and push people away. Um, and it, it, that was not like a cognitive thing. It's only like if I look back and I'm like, wow, I was a handful. Like I didn't want anybody near me. Trust issues. Didn't trust men. Didn't trust women. It was very much trying to keep everybody out of my little bubble. Um, can you can you repeat the question one more time? I think I missed some of it. Sure. I said that it's it's really clear that you've done so much work. You've come a really long way in your journey. And I asked if therapy has, you know, been a big part of that and provided you some of these tools because it's really clear you have um you've really thought everything through and you can really identify these triggers and how they're impacting you and and then how to take care of yourself afterwards. Right. So yeah, when I went into therapy, I only had like one tool and it was, let's just like get everybody away from me. Let's be argumentative. Like let's just, everything was a battle. Um, and when I went in there, I figured, I don't know if I figured out, but it gave me a safe place. I didn't realize then that it was really all coming from fear and not feeling safe enough with anybody to even make sense of what happened, you know, um, and in my twenties, when I when I went in there, and that's really what it gave me. It gave me a safe place to be comfortable, and I got a trusting person as a therapist, um, a very trusting person in a trusting community. And I'm like, I'm not alone anymore. You know, I don't have like the stigma of my family. Let's switch everything under the carpet, and we just don't talk about this. You know, and I, I was told that when I first started therapy that my relationships would change. I didn't believe it, but today it's very true. Yes. Wow, that's wonderful. You uh, you mentioned the word post-traumatic growth, and I was wondering if for our listeners you could kind of define what post-traumatic growth means and expand a little more on that, that topic. Post-traumatic growth. So I, um, I mean, everybody kind of has their own definition of, of post-traumatic growth, but it's like a positive thing that comes from a pretty negative experience or traumatic experience, right? For post-traumatic growth. Um, so you go through this traumatic experience, you go through the whole process of whatever, but I had good, good outcomes that, that came from trauma um my, th- my therapist has referred to me and i don't know if i agree or disagree but it does make sense because i don't give up um like the little train that could like i just think that you can always do something about something you know um maybe that makes me okay social worker i don't know but it's, it's always a way um mentality you know or um i, I can tell you that um i left home at seven seventeen. Um, I was determined that no one helped help me when I was little, so I'm not going to need anybody, which is a bunch of nonsense today, because um, obviously we're wired for connection, um, but it helped me um, get stable, maintain a stable living, things like that. Like, So it sounds like post-traumatic growth is the concept that, though there was this horrible thing that happened to you or that was done to you or that you experienced, depending on what it was, that there is the possibility for a a positive 
growth experience from it, something that you can learn about yourself from this experience or tools that you can take from it or ways that you can create something positive out of this negative experience. Is that right? It is. It, it truly is. Um, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it because it's not easy. Um, you know, I, I, but there is like a positive thing, like um, just even me personally and then other, um, you know, colleagues, colleagues that I know that have experienced different things and friends that have like um, some of the things I hear, I'm stronger than I thought I was. Um, I handle crisis really well. I can just deal with it and handle crisis and kind of go um, on. I can tell you um, I have a deep appreciation for life. Um, I never want to relive those experiences again. So I'm pretty focused on just trying to create really positive experiences. Um, the people that I do have close to me now in my bubble, um, I call it my bubble. I don't have a, you know, um, my relationships with them are, are really good. They're trusting, they're kind. Um, and then possibilities, you know, um, uh, kind of, kind of help too. Um, but my, my biggest growth, growth thing was the emotional growth, um, in this whole process. Yeah. If it's okay, if I ask another question, you told me that you had disclosed to your family, your mom and your grandmother, and then you had talked to people in school did you ever formally report this to a police department or an agency such as that? No, I know when I was four or five, I told my mom, my family, we shut down there. Grandfather died. Um, I was having to run away and get in, you know, just being really rebellious, a handful. Um, and then it came out when I was a runaway, like they, you know, the background you know, your history, family history, whatever, it kind of came out then. I don't believe the uh, a report was filed then. Um, the report actually became filed in my 30s um, to, for the um, victim's comp is when um, my report was filed was in my 30s. Um, police officer came out. Um, kind of asked me what happened, who was involved, and, and that's when my report was filed. Unfortunately, it was after he, my grandfather had passed away, um, but it was in, in my 30s is when this report was filed. And for our listeners, just so they're familiar, uh, in Delaware, there are mandatory reporting laws for child sexual abuse, and we're seeing now that there are times that people who are in their adult years are disclosing to therapists and having to report to the Division of Family Services, which is Delaware's version of Child Protective Services, but also that you can file a late police report and then victim's compensation, you can apply for some help to pay for counseling. Is that what you're talking about, you experienced? Yes, that's exactly what it is. Yeah, the victim's comp. Um, had to get the police report to file to get help with uh, counseling services. So that's that's the reason the report was filed. It was a quite uh, scary. If, even at 30, a big monster, um, you know, it looked like I'm going to have this, you know, a, a police officer come to my house and I'm going to disclose this and it's going to be documented. There's some stuff I had to work through with that. So it was actually a really healing thing once you jumped over that uh, – hurdle of fear um it was actually really therapeutic to do that 
Um, and then, of course, you do get help with the services, uh, counseling services. Yeah, and it's it sounds like you have some really good support with your therapist. And I know that therapists often can coordinate with police-based victim services to go over reporting processes. And a lot of the help that really wasn't around when you were a kid has very much expanded now. It has. It has. It, yeah, it was not around when I was a child. It was not. This it just shows how, how far we've come as a society. Thank you again for sharing your story. If you don't mind, I have a few more questions. In this field, some people use the term victim. Others use the term survivor. You had said that you don't really like labels and definitions. Do you have thoughts or feelings on either of these terms? Or do you have something that you identify as? I do. Um, I'm not a, everybody can assume whatever labels that they want to identify with. That and there's, but for me, um, victim and survivor, it's, I'm not a fan of either of them. Um, I like thriver, um, you know, because I think things can be overcome. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're not really responsible for what is done to us, but it is our responsibility to try to heal from that. Um, people don't just get over it. You kind of heal from that. Um, and Thriver just sounds more empowering. Um, victim sounds like helplessness to me. And I just, those are the associations I have. I would survivor. And it's kind of like you went through something. And it's very true. You're a survivor. But I think I was surviving in my teen years. And like, I don't ever want to live that in that state again. Thriver to me just encompasses like, the whole picture for me yeah wow that's awesome that's that's really impactful to hear and I hope that other people who've experienced that hear that too that they can choose how they identify and they can choose you know where they go forward with everything do you have any special message that you would like to share with other drivers out there uh yes you're not alone um yeah you're not alone um, and sharing your story can help others feel not alone. I don't know um, if this would make any sense to anybody, but someone's story can be someone else's survival guide. I can tell you that someone else's story was my survival guide. When I couldn't make sense or understand or just so closed in. Um, it is. Um, it, it helps remove the stigma uh, and judgments associated with you know sexual violence. Yeah. What about any special messages that you would like to share with advocates or service providers or anyone else that's professionally involved in the field of victim advocacy or anything in relation to sexual violence? Trauma-informed care is, is critical in, our, in, our, in practice anyway. Mental health is, is critical anyway. But to actually apply that is even more critical. Um, we can understand all the concepts of whatever things look like but trauma-informed care the actual application of it when you're interacting in a personal process is so critical um, and then inclusion inclusion is a big deal um, I can tell you I mean I checked out on therapeutic services for 10 10 11 12 years and until you know something life event pushed me back in there but I think if it would have been more inclusive when I was younger it would have been more preventive Penitive things um, can never 
exclude anyone based on any type of difference. Um, I would invite inclusion of all demographics. There's no biases to sexual violence. That is absolutely right. It, it impacts people in all walks of life and all facets of life. So all our services have to be able to work with everyone's individual needs. What about any information or message you might wish to share with people who may be unfamiliar with sexual violence? If it's friends or family, just be patient and understanding. Um, you can't rush someone to heal. They have to move that in their own pace. Um, and I would invite anyone that doesn't know much about it to kind of familiar yourself here with it. I think it's it's so much it happens so much more than anyone realizes, and that's because of the lack of the conversation, lack of having voices heard. Um, patient kindness, understanding goes a long way um, in a judgment free zone. Um, and then, uh, what else can I add to that? I have more to say, and it's just not, it's just drawing blanks. That's okay. I, I don't like when this happens to me. <laughs> yes, get educated. Get educated and and be willing to listen if you're able. Um, and join join the calls. Uh, support, support goes a long way. Supportive is even more being supportive. Yeah, I, you know, sometimes my own personal opinion is that Everyone that's experienced sexual violence, you know, of course, cares about the cause and wants things to be better. But we really need those that haven't experienced it to care just as much so that as a society, we can heal, we can learn, and we can one day eradicate sexual violence. So can I ask you, what made you agree to this interview or why is it important for you to be a thriver that's allied with the Delaware Alliance Against Sexual Violence? I just think um, opening conversations about this and getting voices heard um, can help someone else find whatever they need inside to do what they need to do for them, too. Um, and that's probably my, my main reason, because I am not a camera person, and this is not something that I like run around and talk about every day. It just isn't. And I think um, I'd like to see... Another reason is the shame, the shame part of this and the stigma and, and all that collective stigma and the shame, even if it's coming out just in casual conversation and we don't even realize it. Um, I think that was is the biggest, the biggest reason. And I want people to know that they're not alone. We so appreciate you sharing with us. We're really grateful to have you. If you have any future goals for the advocacy community or anything else you'd like to see happen, what would it be? Obviously, I would like to see it end sexual violence and um, advocacy. I would like to see more laws, stricter punishments for sex offenders. I would like to see those things. I would like to see um, inclusion and removing of uh, removing of that stigma and and judgment um, and prevention. I'm pretty big on prevention. I like. I would like. The more educated we are and the more young young people are educated on these this type of uh, this is more than a topic, but um, the more knowledge is out there, the better. I agree. I mean, I think the the big dream is to end sexual violence. And we recognize that there are a lot of steps to take in between there and there is a lot of work to do before we get there. 
but it's not unattainable. It's something that we can see in our future. And hopefully, you know, there, there won't be people that feel like they're alone or that they're shamed or there's a stigma or that they're judged anymore one day. I just think every, I want to add to that. Um, I forget what the last question was before. Um, that I think when everyone, whenever, when people decide to have a conversation and tell their story, in some ways it actually, dec- it can decrease the amount of instances and you can help save someone else from the same thing that you went through. Yes. So before I ask our final question, is there anything else that you would like to share or that I maybe haven't asked you or something we haven't talked about yet before we end? Uh, healing is possible. Healing, healing is possible. Uh, and you're not alone. I think that is the biggest thing for me is you are not alone. All right. And have you joined the Delaware Alliance Against Sexual Violence as an official member yet? I haven't, but I really need to. I need to. I'm going to do that. But I have not, but I, I do definitely need to do that. I would highly recommend it. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks again, Heather. It's been great to have you. And we so appreciate you sharing your story and helping us let people know that they're not alone and they don't need to be ashamed and that healing is possible and everyone can be a thriver. Um, So thanks again for being here and have a great day. Thank you for having me. Take care. If you've liked what you've heard on today's podcast and want to get more involved in the fight against sexual violence, consider becoming a member. You can visit us on DelawareAlliance.org for more information. Thanks so much for listening. This podcast has been presented by the Delaware Alliance Against Sexual Violence, Delaware Sexual Assault Coalition. If you or someone you know is a victim of sexual violence and are seeking services, please feel free to contact 1-800-656-4673 and they will direct you to local services in your area. (laughs) 